Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Now let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Okay, so we're going to do a series on overthinking. When you're over, overthinking, when you're sick of thinking so much about making creative stuff that you're not actually making creative stuff. You know, uh, I've just recently had this burden on me to make sure that my podcast does not become an excuse not to make all of these ideas that I'm sharing every single week. They're not gospel truth. They are prompts. They are something that hopefully stokes the flame and gets you creating. And so I started you know, I've, I'm such an overthinker and I, you know, I define overthinking as when you think more than you do. Now I'm such an overthinker that I thought, wait a second, that definition sounds a little bit smarter than you, Andy. Now I need to go scour the internet for an hour and make sure that doesn't come from somewhere else. That's how much I couldn't, by the way, just for those of you who are worrying, I still think that that's my definition, but you guys can prove me wrong. Tell me, I, I, you know, maybe I'm quoting someone and don't realize it. <laughs> but that's 
the level of overthinking that I do as I go to create this podcast and anything else that I ever create. But, you know, real quick, you know, on this show, you know that I am a huge fan of thinking. I, I think that in America in particular, that we call any thinking overthinking. And it's one of the reasons I've never really tackled this subject is I think we have an anti-intellectualism in America. We have an anti, you know, uh, craft and, and, and ruminating and, and let's, let's, let's really get cerebral in what we're working on and know what we're doing and, and have a plan and a strategy. I think we overvalue execution. There's all of these quotes, all these ideas floating on the internet of like ideas are a dime a dozen. What, what really matters is executing. So just steal ideas and execute them. No, no, I am not for that. I'm all about sharpening the ax. You know that uh, there's a famous, I think it's George Washington quote, probably not him, uh, that says, you know, if you had three hours to cut down a tree, how would you spend the time? They're like, I'd spend the first two and a half hours sharpening the ax. I think thinking is sharpening the ax. I believe in being mindful about your practice and, you know, mental breakthroughs and, and, and really evaluating and getting best course of action and strategy and all that stuff. I am all for that. But what I'm not for is doing so much thinking that you don't spend any time doing. And even worse, you spend so much time thinking so much that it gets in your head as you go to execute, as you go to create, that you can't get out of your head and into your hands and make stuff. And so I started getting overwhelmed with this feeling that, oh, dear God, what if creative pep talk causes people ever in any capacity to overthink because the reason I create this show is to give you a new prompt, a new set of fresh ideas that help you believe that your actions are going to make a difference. But if you don't actually take any action, this listening to the show is completely a waste. Now, I think we talk about a lot of really good stuff on the show. I believe in the show that I have made, but to counterbalance that. I'm going to do a series, a three-part series on over, overthinking. When you are over, overthinking and it's time to act. Because if you do not, it's kind of like a tightrope. There's a balance to, if you don't balance the thinking and the doing, you will become imbalanced and the whole thing will come crashing down. So I'm teaching my son to ride his bike and, uh, you know, can I, this is me. Let's just, I'm going to call out my overthinking as an example for you of how bad I am at overthinking and how much I've had to overcome to take action, show up every week and make this show, make art for the show, make art for my personal projects throughout the year, make art for clients, like so much overcoming overthinking throughout all that. And, you know, as I tell you, I'm teaching my son to ride his bike. My brain starts thinking, hmm, you know, 
they're going to think they're, they're going to be like, Oh, what a good dad. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a okay dad. Like, you know, it's hard for me to even, you know, (laughs) that's what I do. I start thinking about, well, I probably should have started earlier and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, anyway, that's my overthinking. I'm teaching my son to ride his bike. And it's been really rewarding uh, and it's been frustrating and hard and it's such a battle like getting your kid to find the bravery to risk falling and failure. It's it's a lot of coaching and psychology. It's not easy. Uh, and so we went over to this parking lot, empty parking lot, and they have these big stretches of straight flat asphalt to practice. And so before we start, you know, I'm thinking I got to tell them a few things. You know, I, I'm like, listen, before you get on here, Here's a few things to think about. You know, keep your handlebars straight. We're just going to work on going straight ahead. Look ahead. Don't look at your feet. And then these right here, they're the gears, and you want to shift these on a steep incline so that you can maximize the torque and minimize the friction. And on another thing, we're going to need you to shave that head because all that hair is going to really hurt your aerodynamics. Now... There are basically three schools of thought on leg tension. And I can feel, hopefully, you're like, please, Andy, tell me you didn't say that. Because as I started, before you realized it was not real, you were thinking, Andy, no, that's too much for him to think about before he gets started. He's going to be so in his head. He's not going to be able to do the next right thing. And it's so obvious when you're teaching your kid to ride his bike, that you can't let the thinking get ahead of the doing. But tell that to Andy circa 2010, who's about to get into block printing, who just bought all the top tier professional equipment, read the articles about acid-free paper and ventilation. If you're going to really make anything worthwhile, you need to learn this carve technique and that technique. And blah, 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 blah. Or, or in 2010, when I wanted to start this podcast even, and I look into the mic, the perfect mic and the soundproofing and the software and the hosting and how to hack to get the best new podcast on Apple and blah, 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 blah. I do so much planning and thinking that I don't actually do anything because I get overwhelmed by the overthinking and it takes me four years to get the courage up to take some action and launch that podcast. In fact, you know, my whole basement is a graveyard of overthought creative projects. Screen printing, block printing, ceramics, acrylic paint, gouache paint, wood canvases, real canvases, canvases we're going to make from scratch, canvases we bought online, you know, podcasting equipment, on and on and on. Why is it that over and over I forget and overthink and imbalance the thinking and the doing in my own life, but it's so obvious when it comes to teaching my son to ride his bike. There's one thing that I told him before we got started, and it was this. This is the real thing I said. I said, in order to stay balanced, you have to go faster than you feel ready for. You have to do something that is beyond what you think you're ready for. That's how you stay balanced. You got to push so fast that the balance takes care of itself. And on today's show, 
it's it's a life-saving mission. How do we keep the latest creative endeavor out of the creative graveyard? How do we save its life? How do we stop it from becoming yet another failed creative experiment? We too have to do more than we think we're ready for to stay in balance. You're over overthinking. Put your feet to the pedals. Let's not think about this anymore. And in the words of my hero, one of my all-time heroes, Abby Jacobson, let's not think this, let's do this. Because if we don't, we're not going to get started at all. You know, I mentioned that I wanted to start this podcast back in 2010, and it took me four years to actually get started. And what I did was I started before I felt ready. I said, screw all the perfect ways to launch a podcast and do a podcast and screw the mic. I'm doing it on my phone. Screw the recording room. I'm doing it on the bike trail. Screw the perfect hosting with all the maxed out stuff where you can hack the algorithm and blah, 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 blah. I'm host, I'm loading them up to my blog, submitting it to Apple and doing it now. Why? Because I realized that if I waited until I thought that I was ready, that I would never pedal fast enough to stay balanced in the way that I have continued to stay balanced in my practice when I am is by making sure that I pedal faster than I think that I'm ready for, that I act before I think I'm ready consistently. Because for me, my imbalance, if I let that thing just ride out, I am going to fall off the side of overthinking. And if you're like that too, this episode is for you. So I'm going to tell you the three things that I wish that I had heard getting started. They're three most essential things, and uh, and, and they're going to help you stop overthinking, focus on the right things, and get started. Start pedaling faster than you think that you're ready for. How do you do that? Um, you know, th- the first way you do it, the first way to cut out a whole bunch of overthinking super fast is to number one, make creativity, make your creative output a habit. Why? Because my definition of a habit is something you do without thinking. That just cuts out a whole bunch of thinking. You don't even ask yourself, should I run today? Should I not run today? Well, your habit is running every other day. So you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. That's what creativity needs to become. You know, this series, part of the series was inspired by a friend of mine who is getting back into the creative practice and, and they've been listening to the show. And I just started thinking like, ah, they're going to start listening to hundreds of episodes and they're going to get in their head and they're not going to actually make anything, man. And that's where I just felt this intense energy to create this series, to just be like a beacon of don't overthink it. Pedal faster than you're thinking. Uh, do more than you think you're ready for. Uh, and, and the first thing I thought was, 
the first thing you need to do is to make this a habit. And I have learned a thing or two, both from experience and from reading, studying and and trying different things and self-help and all that about creating habits. My habits now are so much better than they were 10 years ago. You know, when Sophie met me, Woo! I'll tell you, I'm not going to tell you all of my bad habits, but you know, I was smoking a pack a day, also chewing tobacco, drinking six cans of Pepsi Max, which was the British Pepsi Max. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. But that was what I was doing. And I was binge eating. I was not exercising. I have come a long way just in terms of habit formation. And I've done it from, uh, you know, becoming good at habits. What I believe the secret to habit formation is, and I think there's a lot of research to back this up, is if you struggle to make something a habit, then the goal should be to make it a habit. That can be your only goal until it's a habit. Now, experts have different opinions on how long you have to do something for it to become an automatic behavior, for it to become something you do without thinking. But for me, I like to say, because I'm not, I'm especially bad at forming habits, I try to make it six months to a year of a goal. You know, when I started running and I thought I want to run every other day, I had to be militant about not adding any other goals, not doing any other thinking except for my goal is to make this a habit, meaning all I have to do is run every other day. I, I can run for as long as I want. I can run as slow as I want, but I can't not run unless there's an extreme circumstance. And so the first year of running, that was my only goal. And so I've been doing that for, I've been doing every other day running more or less for about three years now. Now I'm starting to think about speed, starting to up my times and my pace of my three mile runs. And I, and I have the rule of I, every, every run is at least three miles. Like, so I've added things over time and went from just forming the habit to how I want that habit to actually exist. But I started trying to lift weights this year and I started off really strong. I went six months lifting every single time I ran. But then I was doing curls and I was doing this over the head thing that I saw online. Don't worry, I wasn't just making it up. Some crazy weightlifters here like, whoa, whoa, over the head thing, man. You're going to pull something. No, I looked it up. I just don't know what it's called. It's a real move. And, uh, and I was doing that every time I was doing some, uh, you know, a few rounds, a few reps is what they say. I'm doing a few reps every time I ran. And then as I was doing them, I thought I, I did, I don't, I didn't guard myself to my prone, uh, mind of overthinking. And I started thinking, okay, you know what else? If I'm doing this, I might as well add getting on the ground and doing some like kind of bench press moves with it. Um, and while I was down there, I started thinking, well, now that I'm down here every time, I should probably add some crunches in there to really, cause otherwise all this is, you know, if I'm just, I'm not really doing enough for this to actually be anything. And so six months in started adding this stuff until guess what? I quit doing it altogether. And I haven't done it for two months. Um, and the reason why was because I tried to make it more than a habit before it was a habit. I tried to 
do it perfectly. I got in my head and I thought too much about it until I was like, you know what? Just forget it. I can't do it at all. And and so here's the biggest piece of advice. The thing that changed my practice is when I created a habit. My first personal project I did, my first big one was called Nod. You've heard me talk about it on the show. I did a new character every weekday for a year. That thing, there were so many bad things about that project. There were so many ways that it was a waste of time. There were so many ways I could have been doing crunches while I was down on that creative floor. But guess what? The point was making it a habit above all things. And I've seen it so many times. You know, I feel like a lot of musicians, because of the natural cycle of things, you know, making album in a certain amount of time, you know, writing, recording, touring, you know, cyclical thing, that they don't end up making their thing a habit. Now, I think there's a time and place for rest. I I do think that's true, but I think that time and place happens after you have a rest, after you have a rhythm and a habit in place that you can slide right back into. And I think you should be careful uh, in the ways that you are intentional about going back to the habit. But I see a lot of musicians that go years without writing. And I think that it makes it so much harder because in my experience, you've got to make a lot of crap to get anything good. There's something psychological even about knowing that everything that you make doesn't have to be a masterpiece that I feel like is the ideal way to tap into play, which is your ideal brain space when making. And that's when some fun stuff happens. And, and I think the best way, Seth Godin says, the best way to have good ideas is to have tons and tons and tons of bad ideas. And so the way to do that, the way to make sure you do that is to create a habit. And so if you don't have a creative habit, if you don't have a, a rhythm to making, you know, this podcast has been my creative habit for seven years, seven years of, you know, I wanted to be a public speaker and a storyteller, seven years of storytelling every single week. Some of them are better than others. I know. Seven years of making episode art. That means I never go a week, hardly ever, except for weeks off where we take a break, where I don't make a finished piece of illustration. That is the creative habit. If you don't have a creative habit, do not think about anything else until creativity becomes something you do without thinking. That's how you're going to start peddling faster than you think you're ready for. Because there's a million reasons not to create. And we're going to get into that in episode two of this series. Uh, we're going to talk about how there, there's a million reasons not to create. Much more reasons not to create than to create. But the reason to create is much, much bigger and more important than all those other nagging ideas. But we don't have time to get into that now. We're going to go to number two. But before we do, two resources. One, I've only uh, one is Atomic Habits, which I have read the blinkest, like um, short version of that one, uh, and it, it's all about the science of habit formation. Highly recommend finding resources that will help you figure out how your brain needs to create habits. For me, it means I got to focus on the habit before I make the habit any good or add any other goals to it. The second resource is The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. 
all about creativity, making creativity a habit. Highly recommend both of those. Go check them out. Okay, the second thing that I wish that I'd known that would have helped me overthink things less when I got started is to, number two, label your target and start with the skin and go down to the bone, okay? That's a lot of words, but the main thing is label your target. We've talked about this idea on the show. It's a big core value of the creative pep talk universe, man, but I want to add some bits to it uh, and I want to tailor it specifically to getting overthinking. Um, that was just me addressing my own overthinking of people. Uh, I'm th- my overthinking said, Andy, there's going to be someone listening to this. Be like, uh, we talked about targets, man. Okay. And, I, and that's me addressing you a whole, <laughs> no, I have something fresh. I want to say about this that I'm super passionate about. And actually, you know, we had an episode with uh, storytelling experts, Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan recently. They have a podcast called You Are a Storyteller on our podcast network, and, and they came on our show uh, a few weeks ago, and it was just the best. It was so freaking good. I, I mean, I was clearly very excited. A lot of you chimed in and said you really love that episode. We're definitely going to follow up part two. Um, it, it's just so, so good. But after that, that was another thing that – inspired this series was I thought there are certain people who are just getting into any type of creative act and they hear us pontificating about storytelling and creative philosophy and what end up, what might happen uh, unintentionally is that they're like my son hearing about the three schools of thought on leg tension and that's so in their head, they can't even start pedaling. And I thought, oh man, I might have to do a follow-up episode to just say, here's how, yes, I stand by everything we said, but here's maybe some different ways to think about it at different stages. And by the way, there's no hierarchy. I'm not speaking to, uh, down to the people you just got started on creativity. So you need the creative diaper series. That's what this series is. No, I'm not saying that. Creative process, creative journey is cyclical in my mind. You should always be being a beginner again. You know, there's always new, fresh curiosities. You know, halfway through my creative career, I had this whole other arm open up of, uh, (laughs) it's a weird idea of an arm opening up. It kind of sounds like, you know, Mega Man with his blaster, like his arm turning into a, anyway, I had this whole other arm of my business branch off of the creative body of public speaking. And I had to, I was a beginner all over again. And so wherever you're at in your cycle, if you're trying to start a new creative habit, I want to address some different ways to think about what we talked about in that episode, no matter whether you're doing storytelling, music, journalism, whatever the freaking, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors of all kinds, even, um, I want to just say, it's important to label a target. Now on that episode, we talked about one of my favorite concepts from Brian McDonald, where he talks about armature, the armature of a story is essentially its skeleton in which you hang everything else, all the meat and the skin and all the other stuff on this skeleton. And the skeleton is basically what you might have heard called the theme, but it's really the point that this story is proving. 
I'm a big believer that great stories prove a point, even if the point is there is no point in life. Like there's a lot of nihilistic stuff, you know, in kind of the indie films and, and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, I think it's that it's an important point to make in different ways. But I'm, I'm, I need to, I'm digressing here. Um, back to the point of the point was, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Very excited. So he says, you know, a good story starts with this structure that everything hangs on a central point. Everything proves this point. Everything comes back to this point. I'm a big believer in that. And then you hate the meat and the skin, the skin being of the movie or the story, uh, you know, how it looks, what, how, how are you going to skin this thing? You know, you're telling a story, um, you know, for me, invisible things, the armature is very similar to probably my all time favorite book, which is the little prince. And in that, that book is all about to see the truth, to see what really matters. You've got to look using more than your eyes. That's in my own words. The quote from the book is actually, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly what is essential is invisible to the eye. And that is essentially what my project Invisible Things is all about. It's uh, uh, the same armature with different meat and skin, uh, which I think is a very legitimate form of creativity, if I do say so myself. Um, but again, overthinking. Um, <laughs> but but uh, that's the armature, right? The meat and the skin is how are you going to tell that armature? How, you know, what particulars, what setting, what characters, what, is it fantasy? Is it, you know, is it, is it middle earth? Is it in space? Like that's the, the meat and the skin, right? Um, but the most important part is that the armature is good, that the armature, armature is a moving truth that is worthwhile and that everything points back to it. Okay. Anyway, that's what we talked about on that episode. And as I left, I thought, what's really interesting to me is that it sounds like we're saying the only way to start telling a story is to start from the bones and move outwards. When in fact, invisible things happened for me creatively exactly uh, in the exact opposite way. And that there's this really, this pattern in my career where the target went from skin to meat to bone. And there's this into intuitive way that's not cerebral, this intuitive way of taking action on the thing that you know that you have a hunch on. You know, for me, Invisible Things, this, and if you're not familiar, if this is your first time listening, Invisible Things is just a, a, a world uh, of invisible creatures that personify invisible forces in our life, like love and melancholy and gravity and all these kind of things. That that became such a central part of my practice. And it came from not the, that armature. I didn't even know that it was about that the most important things are things you have to see using more than your eyes. I didn't even know that that was what I was all about as a human, which it is. What I knew was I'm really into the characters and my inspirations that are hiding part of their face or they're hiding in a tree trunk or whatever. I've talked about this on the show. And that was just the, how these ideas were skinned. And I had to have the faith to pedal faster than I thought I was ready for. I had to take that inspiration, believing there's something more to this. And I'm just going to make stuff 
with this kind of skin as I dig into the meat. <laughs> you could definitely re-edit this podcast to be some kind of horror show. Uh, digging into the skin. <laughs> Good Lord. But there's this opposite way of approaching this thing before you really know what your practice is all about. And the, the tool you use to dig is the creative work itself. It is the making. And so what I want you to do, depending on where you're at in this latest pursuit, is to define your target. Know what, what am I, what am I doing right now? Am I doing the skin? Am I doing the meat? Am I, am I doing the bone? Um, and, and, and the top, you know, when I first started, you know, my target was, it was all about taste. It was all about lo-fi, handmade, indie picture making. And it was very much just like this industry as a whole, this group of people that get it. And it was just very loose. It wasn't cerebral. It was just a feeling. It was just an intuition. And that was just the skin. It was just like, I like the veneer of this work. And my target is to be able to make work that is in that kind of good taste. And it, but it's very skin deep. It didn't have more than that. I just knew these are the people that get it. These are kind of some of the qualities of this stuff. And so if that's you just getting started, it might just be look like your target is just, you know, knowing what you like and kind of making something in the realm of that, even if you don't fully understand why. And you just start making before you know why. The middle part was when I started realizing I've actually got to develop this as a craft. I've really got to get some meat, some substance to the stuff that I'm making. And I started, you know, for me, that was I need to start drawing digitally. And there was this huge gap because I'd done everything completely hand-drawn. And then in that period of time, I was really focused on the craft, putting in the time, putting in the hours, and developing some hard skills. And that was the target. And I knew the stuff I was working on was the personal projects, the habit that I had were moving me towards that and moving me towards also being able to prove that I could meet a brief. That was also in those middle days, started creating projects that were proof that I had the substance of how to execute for a particular task in a particular market. So it was all about craft. And then in more recent days, getting down to the bone of what is this all hanging on? What is the structure? What is the point? I've become obsessed with, uh, you know, creativity as kind of th this reaching for a transcendent act in your work. And I, I rarely get there, but sometimes I feel like I'm starting to taste it. And that's my target. And my target, that transcendence is I want to tell stories with my pictures, with my talks, with this podcast, with my classes, with everything that I do. Why I'm doing it, I want to tell stories that inspire people to say yes to life. That, that's a transcendent thing. That's a thing. That's the magic of creativity. That's, that's something that uh, that target is, you know, I have to get into the mechanics of when do I feel like that? Why? How did they get me there? How? And then I got to practice it. I got to tell stories every week on here. I got to tell stories on Instagram. I got to tell stories for picture books. I got to keep 
writing and trying to hit that target, but I know the target that I'm trying to hit. I'm trying to give that, give people the feeling of when you walk out of a movie and you're like, yes, like life has something worth living for. It is a posture towards life, a yes or a no. When you get out of bed, are you resisting life that's coming at you? The good, the bad, the ugly, or are you embracing it? Stories have the power to help you remember what is worth living for. That's the kind of stories I want to tell. I was talking to my buddy, Kyle Sheely, who I made a picture book with, um, Pizza With Everything on it. And uh, we were talking about this meme that we saw that uh, that was like a kid watching a movie in a theater and, uh, and, and he's like transforming and it says something about like me transforming my personality to be like the coolest person in this movie. And I was like, this, I've never felt more seen. And he told me that, that when he'd seen the movie Tarzan, he'd left the cinema uh, to go to the bathroom and he he went to the bathroom on all fours like Tarzan. And I told him that for me, uh, the clearest memory of this happening was watching Family Matters and knowing Steve Urkel could turn himself into this cooler character through this like science chamber of uh, Stefan Urkel. And I, so embarrassing, I would go into my closet and put on this Charlotte Hornets robe and pretend like I was the cool version. I actually, uh, I called myself Wes and you know, Andy didn't go to school the next day. Wes did. And the truth is it's hilarious. It's ridiculous, but it's also, uh, the truth that story told me like there you get to decide who you show up as today and you can become someone new. And it's, you know, Stefan Urkel was a manifestation of the Alan Watts quote. You are not obligated to be the, the person you were five minutes ago. Right. That's, it was, you know, Steve Urkel was on another level. Philosophically speaking, that's the kind of story um, that I'm talking about. So that's, that's what I'm trying to spend my creative energy doing. I'm trying to make something that will make a kid crawl to the bathroom. <laughs> All the things you could take out of context on this episode, <laughs> like Tarzan, crawl to the bathroom like Tarzan. Um, that's, that's what I want to do, man, because that is the power. That's a transcendent power. And so, but I didn't always know that. And I could have never found that if I hadn't pedaled faster than I was ready for. Right. If I hadn't just taken that skin deep thing of like a hunch of like, I think it's these weird hidden kind of things, man, like something like that and just started making it a habit. So figure out whatever it is. It can be skin deep. It can be cutting to the bone, but have an idea of like, what am I trying to do in this creative habit? What is the target that I'm trying to hit? Because yes, great creative work has an armature, it has, uh, you know, marrow, right? But it doesn't always start that way. Sometimes it starts in the reverse.
All right. The number three thing that I would tell myself when I was starting out, when I was prone to overthinking and not pedaling at all, creatively speaking, just in case you thought this was a biking podcast, uh, would be (laughs) to desperately surround yourself with people with the same target and a creative habit. Now, I harp on about this all the time on the show, but I want to add a new layer here to, I want to dig deeper on why this matters so much. And the reason was because just recently I remembered what it felt like when at the start of my career, I lost my creative community and the feeling and the experience was more than skin deep. It was, it was, uh, uh, profound. You know, when I was at college, I'd formed this little group of people and we'd made this magazine and we had this, uh, this community and this competition and, and this, all of this energy of what happens when a few people's consciousness merges together, man, and it just starts popping off and your things start just happening. You're pedaling and you're, you know, when you're pedaling so fast and the pedals are pedaling themselves and your feet are just trying to keep up. That's what it's like when the community, the creative community thing is happening. When you surround yourself with people who have a same target, you know, in college, we all had that skin deep level thing of taste. It was, we just all liked the same things and we got it. You know, these are the people that get it. We couldn't, we couldn't get more cerebral than that at the time. And that was fine. That was perfect. That was good in that moment. But then we picked, I picked up my family and we moved back to America. I'd done college in the UK and I, and I thought, you know, all of my opportunities and all of this energy and all this creative habit, it's all going to just keep going because it's already moving. But I failed to realize the insanely essential piece of community. And I spent a good year feeling like I'd lost the pulse of the creative path. Like really, if you felt that before, you know what it feels like when you're like, man, I was right squarely in it. And now I just can't even find my way back. It it has the sensation of actually feeling lost. And I remember spending a year in that zone of just like, just can't make heads or tails of any of this stuff. Like it just feels like I've lost the the magic of, of what I was doing. And it felt so like I was going somewhere that there was a purpose with this and there was some universal energy propelling this thing forward and my gears were locked up to use (laughs) the bike metaphor and just recently I was telling someone this story and and I was talking about what it felt like then to get this email from my buddy Andrew Nyer um, who became my buddy I didn't know him at the time he asked me to come do a mural at his gallery and uh and we did this collaborative project called color me We'll create a huge um, mural, black and white mural that's essentially a coloring page. And Andrew made these giant five-foot markers. And we've gone on to do that show, you know, all throughout America and even in Europe. And we're still doing it, man. And But the reason I bring it up is doing that show was the moment, the first moment in over a year 
that I felt the creative pulse again, that I felt the thread, that I could feel that my feet were on the path again. And I remember walking down the street with him going, we're going to go grab a bite and head back to the, uh, head back to the gallery and just being like, it's back. It's what is it? It's here. And what it is, is the space in between people with the same passion and target. And to, and to get more specific about that in the abstract, I'm sure you've felt it, but when it's that abstract, it's easy to just discount it as nothing more than a feeling when in fact it is a, an essential piece of the lifeblood of your practice. And here's why I think it is and why you need to prioritize this as a central part every single step of your creative practice. There's four reasons why I think it's essential to spend time and be in community with people with the same creative habits. First one is the limiting belief thing. You know, creativity, it's a competitive thing. You know, there, there, there are a lot of people practicing. And in order to be your best, you've got to go beyond your limiting beliefs. You know, what you think is possible for your creative output and your talent and your skill. And I'm, you know, very inspired by this idea of like how humans you know, you know, the Olympics are going on right now and you're watching these people do these incredible things. And, and I'm so inspired by how over time we have realized that it's actually possible to run the mile faster than we ever dreamed. And once that one person takes it further, all of a sudden everybody racing can do the same thing. Right? That's the power of spending time around people doing things that you didn't know were possible. And it's not enough to just listen to a podcast because it's easy to disconnect that. It's easy to make those people superhuman. I know you're listening to this show thinking Andy is just really superhuman. I could never do. <laughs> I know you're not thinking that, but you know, on other podcasts, when you're listening to them, it's easy to be like, well, it's fine for them, but I can't possibly have that kind of creative practice. But when you're seeing them in the flesh and blood and meat and bones, this is a, this is a graphic episode. I need to put the warning. Um, <laughs> when you see them in the flesh, you can internalize it in a way there's just no other way to limit, to, to take the limits off of your personal beliefs. And you'll just find yourself doing things you didn't know were possible for you if you're spending time with people around that. The second one is just an osmosis. I was reading this article um, about, uh, it's titled, To Be Creative, Chinese Philosophy Teaches Us to Abandon Originality. It's a really fascinating article. And it's all about the things that you can't teach with words. And it talks about this person who is uh, using this mallet to perform this very particular technique as he's hammering away and how there's a way in which he hits it in a soft but hard way at a certain angle with a certain way of holding the mallet in it. There, there's just no way to articulate it, but to just watch it happen and just spend time with it and, and, and be around it. And that kind of osmosis 
That's the only way that you can learn so much of the creative life. I believe in podcasts, man. I believe in reading about it. I believe in thinking and getting cerebral with your creativity, but... There's a part of it that is intuitive. It's, it's a part of it that's muscle memory. There's a part of it that can only be learned by being in the same place and time as those people. And, and you know what? Hack it until you can actually get it. Get, you know, take the videos, listen to the podcast, do all of that. It, those will even be breadcrumbs to find those people. You know, people that also are, you know, there's I, one of my greatest joys of making this podcast is the friendships that have formed between listeners at get a, at get ups at meetups at get togethers um uh, you know um in pep rallies uh and online things like seeing those people connect and 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 those groups forming around the same targets has just been one of the most satisfying things of my creative practice the third thing is competition you know i know i feel like you know, creators have this knee-jerk reaction against competition, and I get it. There, there's a dark side. There's an ego side, but there's also a healthy side. You know, when I've been part of a group that were doing amazing things, it just brought out my best. I just wanted to be like, let me try that. Let me see if I can outdo that. There's just something. There's something that you can't get any other way, and I think there's a healthy competition that really comes out with being part of a group. And the last one is just obvious. It's just networking. As you're just expanding your network, and you know, uh, I, I really believe I've said it a million times. If you can go to art school without going into crazy debt, highly recommend it. And and, and just the the number one reason that I just stand by that statement is it's just an essential part of networking. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of other ways to do that. So it's not the only way, but that's one of the main things that you get from going to art school is the network that you're buying into. And, and you know, yeah, that there's, there's problematic sides to that. That's a way of gatekeeping. There's, 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 there's some definitely some big problems there, but even no matter what, whether you're going to go to school for it, or whether you're going to go seek these things out for free online, creating your own Zoom room, masterminds, what have you, whatever it is, you can't neglect it. Uh, And it's just one of the uh, essential parts of the practice that if you're going to do three things that I would say, if you do these three things, you have a chance at doing something great. You have a chance of really developing a powerful creative practice. If you will make creativity a habit, if you will identify what am I trying to achieve in this season, and if you spend time with other people with the same habit, you are going to get so much further than all of those people that are stuck worrying about the three schools of thought of holding the pencil with the particular type of tension and, you know, overthinking every last detail. 
So here's some homework, some quick wins, if you will, three things, depending on which one. I feel like these are steps. You know, you don't want to identify a target before it's a habit because that's that's two goals, making a habit and hitting the target. So, you know, these are really sequential. So depending where you feel like you are in your latest creative endeavor, uh, you know, you either need number one, number two, or number three. Here's your three things. Number one, make a plan to make a habit. Make a goal to set a habit, create a personal project where you have to show up at a particular time and do a particular activity and don't put any other expectations on it. You know, you can, you can put a constraint of, I'm going to draw a character or whatever, but don't, don't make it anything about being good or bad or fast or slow or, you know, you know, uh, get this many likes or any of that crap, just make it a habit. And I would say, you know, do that for 60 times. I think if you do that thing 60 times, it will become a habit. You know, when I did this podcast, that meant, you know, a year and a bit of podcasting before I started thinking about how do I grow this podcast? Because once you start uh, adding those layers, you go from thinking to overthinking and not doing at all. So that's the number one. Number two is adopt someone else's target. Start there. Number two is, you know, if you don't know, I don't like, okay, I've got this habit going, um, but I don't really know how to become better at it. I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it as well as I want to. I need to, I, I need to identify what is my target for me? Storytelling. Um, I told you my, my target about telling stories that make people say yes to life. Um, you know, I believe stories about moving uh, truth from your head to your heart. Those are big targets for me. Um, but I also have just in that second season, I could just adopt two of my favorite story people, Brian McDonald and Ira Glass. I combined, I integrated, if you will, their separate definitions of story, their separate targets. So Ira Glass said, uh, or, uh, Brian McDonald said that a story is a series of events that ends in a conclusion. Without a conclusion, it's not a story. It's just, a, it's a list. And he added that was his, de- that was his addition to Webster's definition, which was just a series of events. And then I heard Ira Glass talking to Mike Birbiglia on his podcast and saying that they won't run a story on This American Life if it doesn't end in a surprise. And so for him, a story is a surprise. And so for me, I integrated those, created my own target that said, a story to me, my target that I'm trying to hit is a series of events that ends in a surprise. That's, and that, that honestly, that created, it calibrated my creative metal detector as I'm looking for creative gold. When I start thinking about what podcast, uh, what stories to tell in the podcast, one of the things I think of is just what are surprising things that happen to me? And all of a sudden I have stories bubbling up. Or when I'm creating a, a, a fictional story, I start thinking about, well, what, how would this be surprising? And I have a bunch of other tools and tricks and stuff in there, but that, that's a start. And the third thing is to quick win. If you've done that, if you've, got a, if you've made a habit, you've got a target, this one's just easy, but it, it's simple, but it's maybe the hardest one, is just sit down and think of somebody a peer who's trying to hit the same target in their creative habit and reach out to them, send an email, send a DM, 
say, hey, do you want to get a virtual coffee? If they're in your town and and it's a time when you can meet people in real life, that's even better. Uh, but reach out to one person. It'll take you no time. And, and, and so easy to forget the magic that happens when those those tar- those consciousness consciousnesses focusing on the same target come together you're gonna feel the pulse you're gonna feel like i've got it again i found the freaking thread that is there's oh there's no feeling that i enjoy more in my practice that's more essential is that finding the thread and finding your people that's the essential piece to that so that's a quick win sit down identify one person with a similar target in their creative habit and send them a message and start that relationship going. I'm going to do the same thing right after this recording. All right. I hope this episode helps you get over thinking. If you're overwhelmed, if you're over overthinking, I hope this series not only helps you, but if you got friends, creative friends that are stuck and just can't seem to put the pencil to the pad, I hope that this series is something that you'll share with them um, because I just, I just making stuff consistently, doing it wrong, you know, making mistakes, making bad stuff, but just continuing to make stuff is the only reason that I've made anything worthwhile. I really, I really believe that. So I hope this super helps. I don't know if you know this, but Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity, go check them out, co-podcast.co.co, and you're going to go see all our shows, um, uh, tons. It's it's goldmine of creative inspiration and insight. Uh, I, I love being a part of this. I love having founded this network, and uh, it's just, it, we're only going up from here, mister. Make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast. Uh, by signing up to the newsletter, creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll get an email every time we drop a new episode, so you'll never miss one. Plus, you get instant access to the whole back catalog. Do you celebrate the entire back catalog of Creative Pep Talk? If you do, you're going to want episodes 1 through 199. Thanks to Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Sophie Pizza, Ryan Appleton for content assistance, and massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing this show so beautifully. Thanks for all tuning in, and until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>